literally so many unnecessary titles. Um, guys, it feels so good to be back. I don't know about you, uh, but kickoff was great uh, coming out of summer. Life groups this past Wednesday, uh, just, I don't know, there's like some energy about that. And then being in here tonight and worship, I'm like so excited about what God is doing. And for you sixth graders who are coming in and you're like, whoa, this is not like promised land. They didn't teach us motions or anything. This is crazy. Just like, hang on, I promise we'll get you up to speed. But um, if, if our year is anything like summer was, we're in for something really special. Uh, this summer, God did some incredible stuff. Um, if you weren't a part of our middle school or high school trip or our trip to camp, um, just to catch you up to speed, basically what happened is an overall theme was we discovered life is better when we give God all of our life instead of just a wedge. And um, if you're into passion camp, you know all about the wedge. But, um, but like, that's where our, our theme for the year, no holding back, came from. This idea that life is better when we give everything to God, and so why would we hold back anymore? And so um, that's not, like, an easy thing that you can just, like, I'm all in now, and, like, I'm no longer holding back. And it's, it's not always that simple. There's, like, a process, and that's what we're going to do all year. We're going to go on that journey together, and we're going to... Uh, live it out, and we're also going to get better at it throughout the year. The lens that we do everything is going to be no holding back. And the reason for uh, a lot of that is because on these trips, you guys and some of our leaders experienced real life change. Like it wasn't just a trip that you experienced and then it ended and you came back and you came back with like the cheapest souvenir possible from Jamaica um, that you paid far too much money for. You you went and you like encountered God. And part of what we recognized was so special about that time was every night before worship, someone shared their testimony. Someone shared their story of what God had done in their life, what God was doing in their life. And so like, if you were at kickoff, you saw Noah Schlax do his testimony, which was incredible. Uh, yes. And um, and so we have, uh, for you, for you guys who don't know, we do a thing here at United called Rise Up. And this is a space that we've created for students who feel like God has put something on their heart, um, whether it's their testimony, whether it's something God is currently teaching them, uh, whether it's just like God has put something on your heart and you feel like you have to tell people. We created a space like two to three minutes during the worship set where students get to share about God. Because if we're honest you guys sharing is way more impactful than when David, Rachel, and I share. Like, we spend a full week crafting a 30-minute message, and you guys come up for two minutes, and it's often more impactful than what we do. And that's good. I, I would way prefer it that way uh, than the other way around. And so um, if you have um, been on a summer trip this past summer, you should be one of the first people to sign up for a Rise Up this year because God did a lot of really cool stuff in your life. But just throughout the year, if you feel like God is telling you, like, you need to share this with people. We want to create that space for you so you can sign up at tiny.cc forward slash rise up. And if you're like, oh, my gosh, I don't know how to talk in front of people. I don't know how to put my thoughts together. We work with you. Don't worry. Uh, I'm not going to let you get up here and feel like you're just, like, freeze and not know what to do. Like, we want to help you be able to share what God has put on your heart. So rise ups. Sign up for them. 
It'll be great. Um, I'm really excited about this year and the fact that we're starting with this series about uh, same God. And the idea of this series is that scripture tells us who God is. So if we look at scripture, we can know who God is on an intimate level. And the reason for that is scripture tells us that God is the same always. In fact, if God stops being any of these attributes for even a second, he ceases to be a God worthy of our praise. And so if God is patient in the Bible, in the past, then he's patient with us now. And he will be patient with us in the future. And so we can look back at what God has done, and if he did it for those people, he can do it for you, because he's the same God. And so each week we're going to look at a different characteristic, a different attribute of who God is. And this week we're going to talk about generosity. God is generous. And when we think generosity, we think money. And I don't know if you've read throughout all of the Bible, uh, but God never once reaches his hand down from heaven and is like, here you go, Moses, here's a million dollars. So this isn't about money at all. Generosity is far more than a financial thing. Um, and I'm, I'm going to start uh, off this series talking about this because these questions matter. What does it mean? Why does it matter? And how does this impact us? Because if God is patient, it should change the way that we live. Because the same is true if God is not patient, it would definitely change how we live. If God had a very like short temper and the minute we messed up, like it was over for us, there would be probably none of us in this room right now. And it would drastically change the way that we lived. We'd walk on eggshells all the time. And so if the opposite of true is true, if God is generous, then it should change how we live. And so we're going to start with just a simple, easy illustration to kind of ease us into what God's generosity looks like. So uh, raise your hand or shout out if you saw the Barbie movie over summer break. Yeah. Pretty. It was a film, and it was a good one. Um, and uh, so Barbie has, Barbie has a dream house, we know this, and uh, it is considerably more pink and has less walls than what my dream, host, dream house would have. So what I want you to do is I want you to envision what your dream home looks like. So like, where is it located? How big is it? What are the features? Um, does it have a movie theater? Does it have a bowling alley? What kind of food do you have? Hold on, this is not like an out loud activity. You think about this. You, you think with your brain and then you don't have to say it. Okay, so think about your dream house. And as you think about your dream house, I want you to imagine that you get invited to a housewarming party hosted at this house. So you get to go and experience the house of your dreams for free, it's like, you're, you're invited, it's gonna be the most ideal scenario possible. And you walk up to the house, and you ring the doorbell, you knock on the door, and nobody answers. And so you do that like awkward thing where you like text three people that you think are already at the party, they don't answer, and so then you like awkwardly like open the door handle to see if it's unlocked, and you're like, hey, like, is, anyone, is anyone here? And you walk in, and immediately, as soon as the door opens, 
you just smell the boys' locker room. And you're like, this is disgusting. Like, what is happening? And as you open the door more, you realize there's, like, food trash, dirty laundry, mystery liquids of various colors, like, all over the floor. And you're like, okay, I thought this was a housewarming party. Housewarming parties are typically, like, when you get a new home, so how is it already this messy? And then, like, you don't hear music. You hear the sound of arguing coming from the next room. So you, like, turn the corner, and everyone who's at the party is fighting over who deserves the very little food that is provided at this party. Uh, For whatever reason, the host decided that three sandwiches would be enough after inviting 400 people, and so everyone is deciding who is more deserving of the food at the party. We would say that that host of that party was a bad host, correct? Yes, okay. For a couple reasons. Uh, Because if we look at the opposite, like a good host has someone who welcomes you at the party, so you feel seen and valued. Their house is clean. It's like inviting to be there. It smells nice. There's pleasant music. Um, And then there's like always an abundance of food. You know it's a good party when the food is so abundant that you can just pile your plate up and you don't have to worry about if other people are going to get food or not. There's just endless food. And then what makes a really good host is a host that walks around and checks in on his guests or her guests and says, do you have everything you need? Is there anything I can get for you? I just want to make sure that you're good. That is a good host. And this is a a super basic illustration of what God's generosity looks like. He is a good host. See, What makes God a good host, what makes a good host a good host is their generosity. They are generous to provide food. They are generous to open their space to us and bring us in to share what is personal and intimate with them. That is being generous. You could define generosity this way. A readiness to give more of something than is strictly necessary or expected a readiness to give more of something than strictly necessary or expected. God gave us way more than was necessary or expected. If you go to the very beginning of Scripture, Genesis 1-1, this starts God's generosity. Creation is an expression of God's generosity. God creates the earth and, like, doesn't just, like, kind of throw it out there and hope it lands somewhere nice. It's, like, perfectly positioned. Because if we were too close to the sun, we'd burn and die. And if we were too far from the sun, we would freeze to death. And if our moon was any further, our tides would be all messed up, and we'd have to worry about, like, really constant, irregular flooding. And the ocean is where, like, most of life on earth gets its energy and resources and, like, nutrients. And so, like, the oceans are a big deal, so tides matter. And, like, God did all of this on purpose. And then he didn't just create earth. We're a part of a solar system. And in our lifetime, we will probably not reach every planet in our solar system with, like, a human stepping down on that planet. And then on top of that, our 
solar system is just a little bit of a galaxy. And that galaxy is just a little bit of a vast universe that we, we haven't even figured out if it's infinite or if it's like expanding and growing or if it's shrinking. Like scientists have literally no idea what's happening because they can't see all of it. They can only test little parts of it. And so God, like what's the point of that? Like we live here and we're not even experiencing all of that that's out there. It's just generosity. It's just an abundance. It's more than we could ever need. It's more than is strictly necessary or expected. And that's on a a big scale. Let's get small for a second. You are a unique creation. God first, when he created humanity, he was like, first of all, you're my masterpiece. So let's like set that standard. You are created in my image. Second, no one before you and no one after you will be like you. You are a unique creation like no other. And so your value is immense because God's generosity says, I have infinite ways to create infinite numbers of people so that there will never be two of you. You will never be a replacement of someone. No one will be a replacement of you. You will never be like version, like discount Costco. Like you are you because God is generous. He, didn't have, he could have just copy and pasted us. Like, what, like, truthfully, he could have just been like, okay, Adam, that's pretty good. Next, next, next. And like just all of us the same. And he doesn't because he's generous. And then on top of that, like think about when we create something for a purpose, we really want it to do that, that thing that we created it to do. Otherwise, we'd say it failed. So like if you create a robot that's supposed to build cars for you, the worst thing that that robot could do is decide, I'm actually a banker, and then just be a banker. That is no longer doing the thing you created to do. And so God probably should have or could have just programmed us to do whatever he wanted and intended us to do. And instead, in his generosity, he said, you have free will. You can live however you want. Because it's more loving for me to give you a choice than for me to force you to follow me and to live the way that I hope and designed life to be. And so creation is an expression of God's generosity. And because God is generous, he creates out of abundance. And that abundance means that we don't have to worry about our needs Like, think about everything that we interact with, bless you, comes from something that already existed here on our planet. Everything. Like, even synthetic stuff has a basis and has materials that come from things on Earth. So, everything that we do, like our phones, our cars, our homes, our clothes, food, everything, came from what God provided for us. And so because God is generous, it means we don't have to worry about needs. Now, if you're thinking logically, which you always should, you're thinking, that doesn't seem right. Because if you look down the street, there's homeless people. And if you look around the world, there's immense poverty. People don't even know if the meal that they had tonight will be their last or not. And, like, oftentimes I'm worried 
about if I'm going to have what I need to make it to the next day. So how can God be generous and yet I'm experiencing a lack in my life? And this is an excellent question to ask. It's not that God is not generous. It's that we decided that God's generosity was not enough for us. Literally, God, we just talked about all of this creation stuff and how crazy cool God is for creating the way that he does. Literally two chapters later, humanity decides God's holding out on us. And so this is what happens. This is where this scarcity begins. Chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat uh, fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. And so in this moment, really early, in humanity's history, a lie gets planted. And that lie starts with, this thing that you can't have will make you more like God, which we already have talked about. God from the beginning said, you're in my image. So you're already like God. You were made in his image. You're his masterpiece. So the, the serpent first gives a little lie like, you, God's holding out on you. That thing that he said is not for you, he's withholding something from you. And so, Adam and Eve had a choice. They could trust that God was enough, or they could take what they wanted and what they thought was best for themselves whenever they wanted. So what they do is they take the apple, and sin enters the world. And now, all of a sudden, there's scarcity everywhere, because the thought is... There's not enough for me to get what I want without taking it from someone else. And so all of a sudden these pockets of power start forming because some people have all of the resources and others don't. And so if you want resources, you have to submit yourself to the person with the resources. And then the people with resources start fighting with other people who have resources because they want their resources. And war and greed and famine and suffering spread because of scarcity. There wasn't actually any, but we believed the lie that God had not provided, that God was not enough, that he was not as generous as he said he was. And so what God does is he's like, okay, the world's crazy right now, all good. I'm gonna pick a group of people and I'm gonna directly lead them, the Israelites. And when they follow me, it's going to show the rest of the world what it looks like to live in my kingdom and how much better life is with me. And the Israels, um, they're a lot like us. They are bad at it. So um, God literally tells them in Deuteronomy 15, he says, hey, um, 
I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you an abundance if you follow my commands, if you live the way I ask you to live. And so one of the ways that he asked them to live was that there would be no poor people in God's kingdom. And so even in the midst of us believing that there's scarcity, God starts looking out for people. And he tells the Israelites, every seven years, there's going to be a day where if um, Tyler owes Jacob $400, on that seventh year, Jacob forgets the debt and Tyler doesn't have to pay it back. Why? Because you don't need to worry about missing out or about lacking. I am going to bless you if you follow me. Tyler doesn't have to have poverty hanging over his head just so you can get what you think belongs to you. I'm going to take care of it. And actually, in that seven years, they were also supposed to make sure that like people who didn't have land got a portion of people's land. And so everything kind of belonged to everyone. And there was a seven-year reset. And like that's what we experience today, right? No. Uh, again, the Israelites are bad at it. Um, and actually, someone will probably correct me. You can later if you find out. But I don't think there's a single moment in here where they talk about like, oh, and then they honored the seven-year agreement and everyone had exactly what they needed. And that's kind of what we're experiencing today. There is a huge gap between us and the people in the next tax bracket. And there's a huge gap between us and the people who have so little on the other side of the world. And like, there's these massive gaps. There's scarcity. People are lacking in basic things. And so God had a plan all along. And God's plan was to be even more generous than he already was. So he'd already done all of this stuff and created ways for us to try and figure out this scarcity problem, and he saw that we weren't going to be able to do it on our own. And so he gives all of himself in the form of a baby named Jesus, and he walks amongst his own creation, and he lives this life, a sacrificial life, because he believes and knows that God is generous and that if he trusts in God's plan, he will not lack for anything. And so Jesus is the ultimate display of God's generosity. And he invites us to experience more of God's generosity. Jesus is the ultimate display of God's generosity and he invites us to experience more of God's generosity. See, Jesus lived out generosity. Every miracle, every conversation was an effort to give more life to people. He went out of his way when it was inconvenient, when people were annoying, like all the time. He taught people like, hey, if you follow me, you might not know where you're going to sleep tonight. Hey, if you follow me, you might not know where your next meal's going to be. Hey, if you follow me, you might have to give up some things, but it's okay to do that because God's way is better, and he's got you, and if you trust him, he's going to take care of what you need. Jesus trusted the host and lived sacrificially. 
He trusted the host of the party. He trusted God that he had provided enough. And so he was able to give everything so that we could experience generosity again. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, this is what Paul, one of Jesus' followers, had to say about Jesus' generosity. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. He's saying, when you had nothing, Jesus gave up everything so you could experience God's generosity again. And so even though, even though the world around you will tell you that there's not enough for everyone, that if you don't take what's yours, that if you don't do what you want to do now, it's going to be gone forever. You're going to miss out on experiences and opportunities it's a lie. And so if you're a Jesus follower, if you have decided, like, I'm all in for Jesus, I'm a Christian, I've made this commitment, stop living in scarcity. Stop living in scarcity. Scarcity looks like having sex outside of marriage because if you don't use it, you lose it, which, first of all, doesn't make any sense biologically. Second of all, it's scarcity mindset. It's saying if you don't do it now, it's going to suck later and you're going to hate your life. Not true. But the world's going to convince you to live not according to God's way when his way is infinitely better and keeps you from experiencing pain, shame, and guilt. Like, this is a whole tirade, but like, whatever. 90% of the problems that people experience from having sex outside of marriage are solved when you just have sex inside of marriage. And like, the world right now is like up in arms about abortion and all this stuff because people just want to have sex whenever they want. Because we think that if we don't pursue what we want now, we're going to miss out on something. Stop living in scarcity. Scarcity says... There's not enough space for you to be loved and valued and recognized on social media unless you sacrifice all of yourself to it. Because the algorithm only works if you keep feeding the machine. And so you have to keep posting. You have to keep looking better than other people. You have to make the most creative and interesting posts at all times. Because if you don't, you're going to get lost in the shuffle. That's scarcity mindset. Scarcity mindset is also like... This is something that I struggled with for so long after I got my first job. Like every paycheck I got, I just spent every dollar I got. Why? Because the world tells us you need the newest phone, you need the better car, you need to keep up with the fashion trends, so you have to keep buying more and more things to stay relevant and cool. And it's like exhausting. That's scarcity mindset. But the opposite is also true. When you hoard your money, and you don't spend a single cent, even though you could be using it to bless the people around you, to help provide for people who are in need. But you're, you're holding on to everything because you're afraid if you let it go that you won't have anything anymore. And you will miss out on your dreams. That's a scarcity mindset. If you're a follower of Jesus, stop living in scarcity. Now, 
God literally gave more than we ever needed, more than we ever earned or deserved. And like between creation and Jesus, that's like, again, way more than was necessary or expected. And he wasn't done. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you have access to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is God's literal presence with you 24-7. And the Holy Spirit is a continual expression of God's generosity. The Holy Spirit is a continual expression of God's generosity, and he leads us to trust in God's generosity so others can experience it for themselves. He leads us to trust in God's generosity so others can experience it for themselves. See, the beautiful thing about God's generosity is when you are covered, when you don't have to worry about anything, that means the people around you, you can bless them with your generosity. And so then when they're covered, they get to see, oh my gosh, like, why were you able to do this? You point them to God, they're experiencing God's generosity now, now they have an abundance. Now they can go bless the people in their life. And it's this continuous cycle where everyone has their needs met. No one is missing out on anything. Nobody is left in brokenness and poverty and pain because we have just taken for ourselves and left others behind for fear of missing out on life. Jesus has this really famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, and he would kind of teach this everywhere he went because it was the things that he saw as most important for the people to know about life with God. And he has this whole section in Matthew, Matthew chapter six, starting in verse 25. And um, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna read it word for word, but um, he says, it's where the song Jaira comes from, if you know that song. But he says like, if you watch the birds, they don't have little farms and little food production plants and little 7-Elevens up in the trees where they can just have food ready and available whenever. No, they have to fly around, find their food, and that's how they survive. And Jesus looks at people and he says, if God is providing for the birds and you're his masterpiece, are you not much more valuable than a bird? Do you not have more worth and value than a bird? Stop living in scarcity. He's going to provide the things that you need to survive, the things that you need to be healthy and grow as a person. And then he switches to a, a more worldly example. He's like, you know, like all this beautiful clothing. And he, he used the example of King Solomon who had this like extensive wardrobe from collecting fabrics from different cultures around the world at the time. And Solomon had this like beautiful, like splendor to him. And he says, even King Solomon in all of his splendor paled in comparison to the way God dresses the fields with flowers and with the natural beauty of nature. And are you not much more valuable than grass, which is just so easily thrown away at any moment? Are you not made in his image? Are you not more valuable than a field? So don't worry about the stuff that you think is gonna make your life better, the stuff that you want, the stuff that just makes life enjoyable for living. Like in both situations, Jesus says, 
Worry about trusting God. Worry about following him with all that you are and all else will be added to you. Jesus isn't saying you're not gonna get any of the stuff. Jesus isn't down on you getting stuff. He's saying, worry about me first and I'm gonna provide the extra and abundance for you. And so when we look at the fact that God is generous, we are left with a question. Do you trust God is enough? Do you trust that God is enough? And you don't get to just write down yes or no, and you don't get to just nod your head yes or no, because here's the crazy part about this question. Your life answers this question for you, not your words. Some of you are living a life based on scarcity, and you are chasing after everything. You're chasing after titles, you're chasing after positions at work, you're chasing after dreams, and you don't even know if God has given you those dreams or if it's just something you want. And you don't care what it takes to get to that place. You don't care who you have to cut down, who you have to hurt, who you have to leave behind in the process. You're just gonna take what's yours so that you don't lose. That's not trusting that God is enough. Trusting God is enough is saying, Lord, here's my life and I'm ready and available to do and to go and to say what you want me to do, where you want me to go and what you want me to say at any given moment because I'm trusting that life with you is infinitely better than it is when I do it on my own. And so tonight, in order to wrestle with this question, we're gonna have two different ways to respond. Um, one, if you are uh, someone who would say, I'm already a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian, um, the, the, the response is gonna be at the altar tonight. And just so everyone in the room knows, the altars are available before the sermon, after the sermon, they're available when United ends and you just need a place to be. Like this is a place to come and wrestle with difficult things of life with God. And so there's like a little section in here where you can drop a prayer card. You don't have to put your name on it or anything, but our team prays for each of those prayer cards every week because we wanna partner with you in the things that you are praying for, that you are asking God to do in your life. And so tonight, part of the response is gonna be you coming down and asking God this question. God, do I trust that you're enough? Does my life look like I trust that you're enough or am I living in scarcity? Maybe you're gonna ask God, how can I trust you more this week than I did last week? Maybe you're gonna ask him to give you opportunities to experience his generosity. Do it in his presence, do it at the altar, do it turned around in your seat. Meet with God and wrestle with this question. For those of you who maybe you haven't um, been uh, really following Jesus. You've come to church a lot, but you've never made a decision to actually surrender your life to him. Or maybe it's been a really long time since you actually lived out the decision you made for Jesus. And you've spent a long time running away, chasing scarcity. Or maybe you've never 
given your life to Jesus before. And tonight, for those three different types of people, you're feeling that tug on your heart, on your life, that like, you need to experience God's generosity again. That this is something that you need and want to be a part of. And so what I'm gonna ask everyone to do is close your eyes and bow your heads. And um, if you have been running from Jesus for a long time, if you have been coming to church but never really made a decision before, or if you've just straight up never been offered the chance to step into God's generosity, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna count to three. And if you would like to place your trust in Jesus, I'm just gonna ask you to raise your hand. And you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have all the answers. Like this is just saying like something is different and I wanna experience the generosity of a God who gave everything for me, who gave up everything for me so that I could experience generosity again. If that's you on the count of three, just raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for. One, two, three. Great, keep your heads down and eyes closed. Um, this prayer is not magical or anything. Um, what is uh, a cool part is that as you out loud with your mouth, confirm the belief that you just had in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that uh, he gave up everything for you so you could experience generosity, like that is what saves you. And so um, just repeat this prayer with me if you raise your hand. Dear God, thank you so much for your generosity. Thank you that you sent your son Jesus to give up everything so that I could experience life with you again. I have lived in scarcity. I've chased the things of this world and I no longer want that for my life. I want you. I pray this in your name, amen. If that was you, uh, please do me a favor. Uh, as soon as worship starts, just go see David in the back. I'll join you in a bit. We just wanna meet you. We wanna hear your story and we wanna help start the journey that you just started because it, it's a big, exciting deal and we wanna do it with you. And so um, go find David and for the rest of us, as we go into worship, we're just gonna ask ourselves, do we trust that God is enough? And we're gonna meet God and really wrestle with this. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray and then we'll, we'll head back to worship. Dear God, thank you so much that you gave more than was necessary or expected. Thank you for the beauty of your creation, for the abundance that comes with it. Thank you for your son, Jesus, that when we were experiencing scarcity, he gave up everything so that we didn't live in poverty anymore. God, thank you for the Holy Spirit, that we have access to you at all times so we can experience your generosity and we can help others experience it as well. God, let tonight not just be a decision in a room that stays here, but it would be something that we take beyond these walls to our homes, to our schools, and it would drastically change the way that we live and the people that we do life with. It's in your name we pray.